We're going to take offering as we sing the song, and then Nick's going to come up, and we're going to do something special here this morning. Um, I want to remind you that the offering is just for the folks that are regularly attending here. If you're a visitor, you don't need to give unless your name's Grant and Ann. You guys can give us as much as you want. Um, we're going to teach you guys a new song while we sing, uh, I mean, while we do offering, but I want to read you guys a verse first. It's out of, or some verses first, out of Romans chapter 13, starting verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. presence this morning and we want to thank you for your faithfulness. We want to thank you that you've called us to carry our cross because Jesus carried his, his cross and God died on Calvary for us and we can stand here free in your presence because of what Jesus has done for us. So God, continually, day by day, renew our minds, wake us up, make us stand up, um, God, and make us glorify you and worship you with our lives um, as we raise our hands to you. God, and we worship you, we love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. You know, I love a song like that because uh, I was guilty of it pretty much the whole song that time. There's several words in there that are like calling us to do something like wake up, which you're all doing, you're all awake. Stand up, which none of us did when it said stand up um, until Tim told us to do it. And then raise your hands. None of us did that until... uh, we wanted to, but this is what I want to say through that, okay? This isn't, this isn't a place where you just have to be what you think you have to be when you come to church, okay? I just want to say that as an as a observation from what we just did. When you're called to do something through a song and it says stand up and everything inside of you just wants to stand up, do it. Even if the person next to you is sitting down, just stand up. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you don't want to, don't, okay? But sometimes, I know I sit there and I feel like, I want to do this, like right this morning, and I didn't. And so I just wanted to say that. Do it if you want to do it. Worship your God uh, like like you want to worship Him. Right now, all of you are sitting in a miracle. You know why? Because today, actually tomorrow marks our one-year anniversary of Creekside Church. There you go. go. Um, This this is awesome. Jesus died over 2,000 years ago, okay? And then shortly after his resurrection, the church began. And what I'm about to read to you, the, the events that I'm about to read to you take place Almost 2,000 years after the church began. That is God's faithfulness. That the church still exists. 2,000 years after it began. After Jesus Christ, the church still exists. Is that not amazing? Does that not blow your mind? I mean, the church is way bigger than us sitting in this room. But my heart is so connected to Creekside Church because God calls us to all be parts 
of local churches within the universal church, and he has been so faithful to so many churches, and uh, he has been so faithful to this church 2,000 years after the church began. So the events that I'm about to read to you, I just want you to soak in God's faithfulness as you hear this. In 1912, a group of eight adults with four kids met in a living room in Des Moines to break bread together and remember Jesus. I'm going to pause there for a second because I need to remind our, our, uh, our ushers. You're going to be getting a stone while I read this. You're going to be getting a stone, which you're going to find out what that's for later. But some ushers are going to come and pass you a stone. I just want you to take one out of a basket and hold on to it. Um, So we can use that a little later. So in 1912, a group of eight adults with four kids met in a living room in Des Moines to break bread together and remember Jesus. Later in 1912, they moved to a home on Court Avenue. From 1913 to 1921, that group met in a storage building on Walnut in Des Moines, a former athletic club on East 13th, and in a carpentry repair shop. In 1921... They met in a former Lutheran church on East 8th Street, naming the church Central Gospel Chapel. In 1954, they sold the building and met in the gym at Valley High School, while members joined together to construct a building at 3200 Lincoln Avenue in Des Moines. On May 22, 1955, Central Gospel Chapel had its first service at 3200 Lincoln. In 1989, Central Gospel Chapel changed its name to Cornerstone Community Church. In the year 2000, Cornerstone sold 3200 Lincoln and began meeting in a semi-permanent room at Des Moines Christian School. In 2004, Cornerstone moved to Foxborough Conference Center. In 2007, they moved to Johnston Middle School. In 2009, Cornerstone purchased 10 acres of land on Northwest 70th in Johnston as a future building site. In 2010, Cornerstone moved to Timber Ridge Elementary School in Johnston. In 2011, Cornerstone purchased buildings and income property at the former site of Water's Edge property in Johnston on Beaver Avenue, transferring transferring ownership of the land on 70th Avenue to the seller as a down payment. And now we're going to flash back a little bit. In 1954, a group with contacts from Union Park Baptist Church began a Baptist General Conference church named Olivet Baptist Church in West Des Moines, meeting in a home on 19th Street. In 1955, the group outgrew the house and moved into a small building at 4th and Maple in West Des Moines. In 1964, services began at a new building on 73rd Street in Windsor Heights. In the 1980s, an addition was added to the 73rd Street building, And the church continued to grow. In the early 2000s, Olivet Baptist Church sold the 73rd Street building to the West Des Moines School District. And after zoning issues kept Olivet from building on a 10-acre piece of land that they had acquired in West Des Moines, they bought and built a beautiful building on 82nd Place in Urbandale. On September 2003, Olivet Baptist Church began services on 82nd Place. In 2012, Olivet Baptist Church invited Cornerstone Community Church to join operations for Awana, youth, and prayer ministries along with the gathering as a monthly worship ministry. In 2012, Cornerstone Community Church marked its 100th year 
in existence. In 2013, a week and a half before Cornerstone was to begin remodeling on its building on Beaver Avenue in Johnston, Olivet Baptist Church offered to sell their building on 82nd Place in Urbandale to Cornerstone Community Church with a desire to join churches together. On July 7th, 2013, services began at a combined Cornerstone Community Church and Olivet Baptist Church. And shortly after, the two churches changed their name together as one church to Creekside Church. In other words, right now, you are sitting in a miracle. Creekside Church is a miracle from an almighty God who loves us through the pain, the greatness of people coming to him, and the joy of church growth, and the pain of wandering in the desert. Through the pain of seeing church fail from human standards, and through the joy of seeing people come to know him, God is always faithful. Through the great times in community and through broken relationships along the way, God has a plan, he is sovereign, and he is faithful. Amen? Yeah, you can clap for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to have some, of, some helpers come forward now, and, and, and they're going to stand behind these jars. Uh, you guys can come on up. And what we've done is each one of these jars represents a different location that we have been as we've wandered through the desert. And we literally went to each of these locations and got dirt. And I felt like I am going to get arrested as I'm doing this. I, this is just scary. i got to do this as fast as possible. Do it when nobody's there. This is scary. Um, sorry, Vance. I dug a little hole in the front yard. Um, so, yeah, there was no grass on it, all right? So each one of these different sets of dirt comes from a different place that God was glorified in through Cornerstone and through Olivet. And, and in the end, he has brought us together. And as you can see, God has strategically placed both of our churches along the way throughout Des Moines to meet here. To meet right here in this building. And if we ever get to the point, I think we need to come back every single year. And this day... Okay, needs to be a holiday for this church. It, as, as good as uh, Christmas, I mean, like Easter, this is a holiday for this church because it marks God's faithfulness to us as a single unified church in his name. Amen? I mean, we're excited about that. So these, these guys are going are gonna to lead us in some prayer. And uh, you, you, can, you can watch as this happens. And we are going to take the dirt of this, these combined locations that make Creekside church and we're going to pl plant a memorial tree somewhere on the grounds. And so every time we look at that tree, we will know that, hey, God was faithful to us and it will remind us of that. So you can close your eyes, you can bow your heads, but you might want to watch what's going on up here as these people lead us in prayer. Thank you. Would you just bow your heads with me, please? Oh, Lord God, I just thank you so much for what you've done for us. Lord, I remember when we uh, sold our home there at 3200 Lincoln, you promised us that you would take care of us, and Lord, you did. You gave us the 
Des Moines Christian Timberline campus, and that's where we went. And Lord, you blessed us so much while we were there. So many people were saved. So many things went on your ways, your truth, your gospel went on, Lord. I thank you for that. And I, you gave me a, a verse to claim, Lord, out of 1 Samuel 7:12, that thus far you have kept us, and Lord, you kept your word unto this day. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Faithful Lord and Healing Counselor, thank you for the growth of Cornerstone at Foxborough and the blessings that our families experienced there. Some were easy, most were very hard. Thank you for the trials, thank you for the hurt, and thank you for the pain, but thank you for your healing, and thank you for your great faithfulness. Lord, you provided Johnson Middle School for us just at the right time. Thank you for the space and the accessibility we enjoyed there. Thanks for the lessons learned and for, the, for building perseverance in, in us. You are such a faithful God. And I th I've thought so many times, uh, oh, ye of little faith. I didn't think I would ever live to see this building. So praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for providing a Timber Ridge Elementary for us. We know in your eyes there is no separation of, of church and state. It's all you, Lord, and we just uh, thank you for that. We thank you for the new faces uh, that joined our congregation, we thank you for the, the growth that you provided, at, you know, especially in the Sunday school program, and for your faithfulness, Lord, and just continuing to find and provide uh, locations for, for your worship. Thank you. Dear Lord, we thank you for Olivet Church. We thank you for the people of Olivet and the relationships they have built over the years. We thank you for the vision to build this church. We thank you for the good times we had and the times that weren't so good and your faithfulness throughout all of those times. Amen. Dear Father, thank you for providing this united family a home at Creekside where we can gather and grow. Thank you for leading us here because the wait has been worth it. Lord, use this, use this home as a dwelling place and use us to build up your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen. God is faithful, amen. Amen. Give him a hand. Give these people a hand. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and sit down. Thank you so much for that. As they sit down, you're going to see some verses on the screen. And I want to read these verses together, and as they show up on the screen, I'm going to read the parts in white, and I want you to, with loud voices and thankfulness to God, express your thankfulness in reading the parts that are in red. So Justin, go ahead and put that first part up there. Give thanks to God the Lord, for He is good. 
Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Get louder now, come on. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. And the moon and the stars to govern the night. To him who led his people through the wilderness. Loud, come on. And gave their land as an inheritance. He remembered us in our lowest state. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. Amen. I love that. You know, when we first moved here, there was some pain involved and there was some rejoicing involved. And I remember for, uh, for Cornerstone, it was all rejoicing. I mean, I, God just has done immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And we came in here, guns a-blazing and ready to go, and we were all excited. But you know what? There was some pain involved, too. Because Olivet Church had, they were excited to see this room grow with people and have new relationships, but there was some pain involved there, too. And so I want to acknowledge that this morning. And in the words of Myrna Baird, when these two churches joined together, we both gained precious jewels. Isn't that true? We both gained precious jewels. And so, people from Olivet, people from Cornerstone, you are precious jewels. But you know what's happened? You know what God's given us as we've moved in this place? He's given us some new people too. And those people are precious jewels. So if you've joined us since we've come together, you are a precious jewel. You are here, even if you're here this morning for the first time, you are a precious jewel. And you're here because God loves you and because God has pursued you. And God wants you here. The band is going to come back up now. We're going to have a chance just to be in his presence and worship him for what Creekside Church is. And so you have a stone in your possession. Now there's some arrows that you've been wondering about on the ground, okay? Um, I'm going to tell you what those are for now, all right? If you are in these middle sections, as we begin to worship our king together, if you're in these middle sections... You are going to move. We're going to start in the back row. So, Rod, you're the furthest back. You guys can start. Um, and Ken, you're going to start. You're going to all move in these middle sections toward the middle. Come forward, and you're going to place your rock in this, uh, in this big bowl here. Okay? And then you're going to go out to the outside and down the outside of your section and back in. People on the outside sections, you're going to go all the way to the outside. Okay? You're going to come up, put your stone, and go back. As you put your stone into the bowl, you're going to leave the stone there, and you're going to take a precious jewel that is on the table. And I want you to take that jewel home, and every time you look at that jewel, put that jewel somewhere that you look often, so that you never, ever, ever forget God's faithfulness 
in bringing two churches together, I mean he has done immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, right? So take a jewel home and remember that. When the Israelites came out of the wilderness and crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, God said, I want somebody from every tribe to take a stone and I want you to set it up as a memorial to me on the bank of the river. And every time your children, children's children, children look at that and you're going to tell them that God was faithful to us and brought us out of the wilderness. You're going to tell them what God has done for us. And so this stone memorial, as you place them in there very gently so that you don't break the glass, um, is going to go somewhere in our building as a memorial that when your kids ask, what is, why are there a bunch of stones in a vase? Well, this is why. God is faithful in the good times and the bad times, and God will always be faithful to you. So as we worship together, come forward, and right away, you guys in the back row, start on the outsides and the inside, and come up, put your stone in the bowl, and take a precious jewel home with you. that after every brick in this building has fallen apart and is gone, and after everything that we own, all our possessions here on earth are running out, and that Jesus remains. After all else fades away, all there is left is worshiping God, is singing my heart out to God for his faithfulness in our lives. And the, the, the crazy thing is, though all of it is going to crumble, all of it is going to fade, he still sees fit to be faithful to us with something like a building. I mean, that's incredible because it doesn't matter where we go to church, it doesn't matter what building we're in, it doesn't matter. It matters that Jesus Christ died on the cross because God loved us and when it all fades away, the cross is still there and remembering Jesus is still there. Thank you God for your faithfulness. You can go ahead and have a seat and in in just a little while we're going to take the bread and the juice and we're going to remember Jesus and one of the things that has just happened since we've moved here that I, I'm very confident with and that I love about Creekside Church, and we even talked about it um, in our Wednesday night Waypoint group, was that we're pretty confident that anybody can come to Creekside Church and immediately feel these are mo- some of the most friendly people in the world, and they love me. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what walk of life you've come from, is that I am loved by these people, and it leads them to know, ultimately, I am loved by God. I mean, God is shifting and continually changing us and renewing our minds to just know, I mean, it's this tension that we live in of how do we love people the way Jesus loved them. If you've 
been here, you can take your Bibles and open to Mark 6, and this is just everybody's freaking out because, oh, the message is just starting, we're going to be here forever. But this really um, is just more like a devotional thought because um, I really think that in Mark chapter 6, it really brings us to a point that ties everything together uh, so far that we've been learning from the book of Mark. And if you've been here on Wednesday night for a Wednesday Waypoint in our Christian study by Andy Stanley, uh, this is, a lot of this is going to sound familiar um, because, I, I mean, I like plagiarized my whole way through high school and most of college, so this, is, this isn't new to me. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I'm mostly kidding. Um, anyway, um, that there is a tension that I feel most every day of my life, especially since Heather and I moved to um, our new neighborhood and these neighbors that just are always around and they really make it easy to be in relationship with these people. And some of us live in neighborhoods like that, some of it don't, some of us don't. Some of us work with people who are hard to love, some of us work with people that aren't living the same lifestyle that we would live. And there's this tension in my mind and it's this ever-growing tension between living a life that people everywhere, people that are churched people, people that are Christians, people that are Jesus followers and people that are not, look at my life and they say, man, I respect him. For his morals, for his love for people, for his love for Jesus, and the way that he just spends time with people. The tension between that and at the same time living a life that is just under people's skin enough to say, man, nobody lives like that. Like, what is the matter with you? Who loves like that. I mean, why do you act like that? Why do you love like that? Why do you choose not to do these things? I hate that you said that to me, but I needed you to say it to me. There's a tension there. There's a tension between living a life that people look at and wonder at, and people respect, and living a life that actually attracts persecution for Jesus' name. Because, I mean, honestly, sometimes I think, I got a good life, you know? I mean, I've got a, a wife and kids that I love. I always love them. I don't always like them, but I always love them. Is that possible? It's, it's just a hard thing to do. Um, but I live a pretty good life. And honestly, I'm not always persecuted for Jesus' name, right? And there's this tension there. Like, should I be drawn in some more persecution? Should uh, people be making fun of me for, for these things if that's how persecution comes? But there's this tension there between I want to live in the world and be among all these different kinds of people, and yet my life needs to look like Jesus wanted it to look so that people wonder, man, this guy's different. I want that. Whatever he's got, I want it. And there's a tension there. I want to read to you from Matthew 5. You could stick, you're going to be in Mark 6, so take your Bible and turn to Mark 6. And just listen to these verses from Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 13, this is Jesus talking to his followers. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light 
shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so this little uh, devotional thought here is going to be called The Walking Preservatives. You know, like, uh, like um, the, the show The Walking Dead, dead people don't actually walk. You know what? Zombies essentially freak me out. The one place I will never, ever go is, walk, is the uh, zombie burger. Like, it's really? You know, I mean, eat a burger and throw up, because that's just disgusting. Um, but like, dead people don't really walk, preservers don't really walk, but today they do, okay? And you'll see why. In Mark chapter uh, 6, I just want to take you through this, uh, this story and, um, and see why preservatives can walk, okay? So let's start in Mark chapter 6, and I'm just going to be uh, in verse 12. This is the tail end of what Kyle spoke on last week after Jesus sends out his disciples to share the kingdom of God with people. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, no. John, the man I beheaded, has raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herod nursed a grudge, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him. And here's, this is the tension in John's life, in his relationship with Herod. But Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in the prison and brought his head back on a platter. He presented to the girl, he presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. First thing I want to point out is that at that time, Palestine was split into four territories, okay? And Herod Antipas, who this is talking about, was the guardian, was the steward over Galilee. His brother Philip was uh, in charge of a territory called um, Ituria. If I pronounce that wrong, you don't know how to say it either. So um, anyway, here we go. Um, And what had happened was, Herod sees his brother, 
And Herodias, Philip's wife, leaves Philip and goes and marries Herod, and they commit adultery together. And John, okay, bold enough to come and say, dude, that's not right. Like, you, that's, it's not lawful. You can't do that. Adultery is wrong. Bad, okay? And yet, Herod has a healthy respect for who John is. And he ends up beheading John because of pressure from his wife. His wife was all mad. He can't say that about us. So he called her out on it. And she was mad. But Herod had this healthy respect for John. In that day, there was, there was different groups of people. And Jesus really had not made himself known, like as the Son of God, as the Messiah. Okay, he often healed people and said, hey, don't go tell anybody what I did. Okay, because he wanted people drawn to himself by faith in who he was in, in, the, in the coming Messiah. And so people assumed all different kinds of things about who Jesus was. Okay, some, of, some people, Jews who knew the Old Testament well, assumed that maybe um, he's Elijah because the Old Testament prophesies that Elijah is supposed to come back before the Messiah comes. Okay, and as we know later on, Jesus says that John the Baptist actually came in the spirit of Elijah, which was a fulfillment of that prophecy. But here's Herod, and he's saying, no, listen, the stuff that Jesus is doing, this has got to be John the Baptist come back from the dead. Like, really, the walking dead. Okay? This has got to be because Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is teaching with authority. Jesus is, is loving all people. I mean, this looks a lot like John. I mean, this is the way John lived his life. It must be John come back from the dead. And so the question that I beg this morning is how can a man like Herod have such a relationship with a guy like John? Herod, a man that was not a follower of Jesus, that uh, cared about his own kingdom alone, a selfish man, and a man like John who led the way for Jesus to come and who loved people, and who preached to people. And how do I have a relationship? Because there's a tension there. We've been talking a lot about the fact that, hey, I thought that people inside the church are not supposed to judge people outside the church. Like there's a standard for people who claim to be Jesus followers that's here, and there's a standard for people outside the church. And people who follow Jesus are not supposed to hold people who don't claim to follow Jesus to the same standards because that's judgmental and God is the judge and we're not supposed to do that. All that we're supposed to do is love, 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 lie. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians it says that we once were all the things that we are judging people for doing. And so there's a tension there because I want people to walk away from their sin and come to Jesus, but how do I do that without pointing out their sin to them? I mean, so now I'm confused. Like, how do I live in a non-judgmental way towards people who live their life in a sinful way, but I'm supposed to love them. I'm not supposed to judge people on the outside. But here's the deal. There's a difference between holding people accountable and judging people because inside the church, we live in a beautiful community and we know and we understand, and I really think we understand this at Creekside Church, is that we, um, if we are followers, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, it does not mean that we're perfect. Okay? It means that we, we live inside the grace of an almighty God. And part of that grace is that when I mess up, I get to be called out. 
by somebody else that loves me. Because I'm part of a community and somebody can say to me, hey Nick, dude, that's not the standard that Jesus holds us to. Man, I'm not saying that I'm better than you, I'm not saying I'm above you, but I love you, so I want the best possible abundant life that God has for you, so I gotta call you out on what you're doing wrong in your life. There's a difference there, because we have no right to go outside the church and say, hey, you, you all, sinners, and we're better than you, and I'm not going to spend time with you because you're going to bring me down. No, we would have to, I mean, what does John say? We have to leave the world, and that's not what God wants. He says, you don't leave the world. You spend time with these people because this is how Jesus loved. And last week, we learned in, in uh, on Wednesday night, we learned about the fact that Jesus came, and he is full of both grace and truth, and how that lives its, itself out. The best picture of that is when the, uh, the woman caught in adultery is about to be stoned by all the Pharisees, right? And the Sadducees. And they're holding their stones and they're about to stone her. And Jesus comes and he reaches down, writes in the sand. We have no idea what he wrote. But he stands up and he says, hey, hold on a minute. Hey, every single one of you that is without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And when they started to admit in their own hearts, we can't say that we're without sin because then we'll be liars. They start dropping their stones and they walk away. But Jesus doesn't just ignore her sin. What does he say to her? He says, look, all these people, essentially that don't have the right to condemn you because they're also sinners, they haven't condemned you. They're gone. And I'm here by myself. The reality of that situation was huge because Jesus in that moment was the only being in the universe that had the right to condemn this woman's sin. Jesus is the only being in the universe that has the right to condemn my sin, to condemn your sin. But what did he say to her? He says, I don't condemn you. That's grace. But go and leave your life of sin. See, you're a sinner, I don't condemn you, that's grace. But your sin, it's destructive. It will eventually destroy you, it'll destroy your family, it'll tear your family apart. We've seen it happen in marriages, we've seen it happen with addictions, we've seen it happen in these different areas of life. And so what happened, how did John act that Herod said this about him? When he listened to him, he was greatly puzzled, like, what are you saying? Like, dude, nobody loves like that. Nobody talks like that. You're calling me out on things. You're hitting my heart in a place that makes me uncomfortable, and I hate it. But then what does it say? He enjoyed. He liked listening to him because I think that, that John probably lived his life to Herod in such a way that said, dude, here's what you're doing wrong. But he did it with grace, and he did it with love. I think John, like Jesus, in every situation, and this is where the, the, that tension gets resolved for me, because I'm not really supposed to ever try to resolve that tension, because grace and truth are supposed to live together, and so as long as I feel that tension, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that God is continually teaching us. It's a good thing that God is continually moving us to be more like his son. But as we think about that tension... 
and how hard it is. And as we discuss and we agree and we disagree how we're supposed to live our lives before people outside the church, it comes down to this. Every time I interact with one of you and every time I interact with somebody that does not claim to be a Jesus follower, I ask this question. What is the most loving thing that I could do? What is the most loving thing that I could say to this person in this moment? Because grace is not grace until someone understands that the truth of their sin is destruction. Grace isn't real to people until people understand the results of their sin. And then they see, wait a minute, God actually does have a right to condemn me, but he doesn't. I don't condemn you, but leave your life of sin. There, what, was, what was John being? He was being salt and light. What is salt? Salt is a preservative, right? And preservatives are something that you put on food to prevent from decomposition. He says, you are the salt of the earth. The entire world, people of all times and all places, people who claim to be Jesus followers, you are the salt of the earth. So what's your job? It's to preserve the abundant life that God wants people to live. And sometimes that means gently and gracefully pointing out people's sin to them. But not in a judgmental way that says, hey, your sin makes you worse than me. But in a way that says, hey, this is what Jesus saved me from. You know, I often say, if I wasn't a believer, I don't want to know what my life would be right now. If Jesus didn't save me, I don't even want to know where I'd be right now because I would not be here, I can tell you that right now. And so we go to people and we say, listen, your sin is destructive, but so was mine, and this is what Jesus did to save me. There's two parts of being salt, and there's two parts of being light. It's being salt, it's being light, it's giving grace, it's giving truth, number one, but it's also being able to receive grace and truth. Until we come to the point that, and the band, you guys can come back up, but until we come to the point that we understand the sac- what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, that it, it won, it pointed out the fact that we were sinners because we need a sacrifice. Otherwise, Jesus died for nothing. And number two, it pointed out the fact that, hey, you don't have to do anything. And that doesn't make sense to people. Kyle talked about that a few weeks ago. That the simplicity of the message of the gospel doesn't make sense to people. Because they're like, what? Wait a minute. I've lived my entire life trying to be good enough to earn salvation. And you're telling me all I have to do is come to Jesus and understand his grace in the midst of the fact that I'm not a perfect person. And that's all it is. So what we are called to be is we are called to be salt. Wherever we are, in every single situation, we're called to be salt. In every situation, we're called to be light. And salt always preserves, and light always points the way forward. And until we understand our own position in God, we're never going to be able to do that. And there's always going to be this confusing tension in our lives. And so we come... 
And you, you guys, just, I just want you to sit there and be in these last moments of this service. And we're just going to sing together as the bread and the juice are passed around. And we remember Jesus, that he came to die on the cross and say, I don't condemn you. And now, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so as the communion comes around, remember that that is true in your life if you are a Jesus follower. Let's sing together. Jesus, we just thank you so much for bringing us here this morning, Lord, that we got to celebrate, we get to celebrate having this, this building that allows us to do so much, Lord, but what I pray... <laughs> that when we have something like this that you've blessed us with, that we wouldn't use it for our own selfish ambitions, but we'd use it to reach others for you, Lord. And we'd use it to bring people in and comfort them and help them find peace that only comes from you, Lord. So I pray as we leave here today and as we go throughout our week, Lord, we wouldn't forget that, that just because a building sits here, it's not what church is. What church is is what happens throughout the week. It's all of us being able to worship you on a daily basis, not on one day, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to be able to go out and reach the community and the world around us for you, Lord, and that we'd be able to praise you every day. In your name, amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you hopefully next week.